you would open in your copy of the scriptures to Acts chapter 7. Our text this morning is verses 17 through 36. This is Stephen's sermon to uh, the Sanhedrin as he is standing and giving his defense. And what he does is he tells the story of the the Pentateuch Uh, here this morning. He focuses on Moses. My attempt this morning is going to be to tell that same story. Um, And then make applications as we go. So... Uh, maybe we'll have a little bit more of a narrative approach to the sermon as opposed to uh, my typical uh, style. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage as we move through the sermon. So let me go ahead and open us in prayer. Almighty God, as we now have the privilege of reading your word and hearing it preached, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would be glorified and honored. I pray that you would work faith in our hearts. Father, if there are any here who do not know you, or if there are those who are self-deceived in their faith, Father, I ask that you would uh, open the eyes of their hearts and that uh, they would flee to Jesus Christ um, in faith. We ask in His name. Amen. What an election season. Aren't you glad it's over? (laughs) I heard the 2012 presidential election um, starts this January. So we have almost two months reprieve before it all starts again. You know what I wish? I wish that God would choose our leaders. On a side note, I do believe that God is ultimately the one who chooses our leaders. But it seems to me, if He is using them to punish us rather than bless us, I think what He is doing is He is allowing us to choose leaders that reflect our moral character as a nation. Uh, It seems reasonable. We're going to pick people that um, are like us. So you want to know what kind of hole we are in morally as a nation? Just look at Washington, D.C. Just look at our leaders. The reason I bring this up is because God chose Israel's leader. When they were enslaved in Egypt, God raised up Moses. Moses, as we are going to see this morning, left some things to be desired. Far from perfect. But God used him to deliver his people out of bondage. I know you know the story. Just as the Sanhedrin knew the story... Yet, Stephen told it to them anyway, so I'm going to tell you the story this morning. First of all, going back 
God appeared to Abraham and he told Abraham that he would be the father of many peoples and his offspring would be more numerous than than the stars are in the sky, that his offspring would be more numerous than the sand on a beach, but that his descendants eventually would go off to another country And they would be enslaved there for 400 years before God would deliver them. And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Just as God uh, had foretold. Joseph, as we were just discussing with the children, was sold into slavery. And through God's providence, he became the number two person in all of Egypt. And the reason God uh, raised him to this position of power was so that he might deliver his people. Because there was this famine in the land and through Joseph's, through the, the circumstances, the very undesirable uh, circumstances in Joseph's life, God saved his family. And so Joseph's family moved down to Egypt They stayed there, and as the generations passed by, so did the knowledge of Joseph. So did this this understanding that Joseph had actually saved Egypt and all of the then-known world from uh, utter ruin. Eventually, there came, as the book of Exodus tells us, a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And um, he enslaved the Israelites. And as uh, the, the Israelites were used for the various building projects throughout the nation, um, the uh, pharaoh began becoming more and more ruthless. As he did so, the Israelites began bearing more and more children. They became so numerous that Pharaoh then became worried that the Israelites would then take over uh, the, the country of Egypt. So he made a decree. All, children, all boys must be executed after they are born. And God had promised... Uh, the Israelites, that he was going to deliver them. And so in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of all of these uh, Israelite children being killed, God raised up a small child, called that child to be a leader, and of course that child would be Moses. And so here the scriptures, Acts 7, beginning with verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. What is remarkable here is that God providentially caused Moses not only to be born at the right time, 
and but then be spared from execution. But he also calls Moses to be adopted as um, Pharaoh's own grandson by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in Pharaoh's household, and he was educated as uh, part of the royalty. Consequently, Moses received the finest education that was um, uh, that the then known world had to offer. In fact, according to the archaeologists, Moses would have received training in linguistics, in mathematics, in astronomy, in architecture, in music, in medicine, law, and of course the fine art of diplomacy. In other words, in God's good providence, Moses was being raised up right underneath Pharaoh's own nose and given all the skills and the education to be fitted to overthrow Pharaoh's government. God was preparing Moses to lead his people out of bondage. As I've already said, we just received, or we just finished, a very uh, difficult election season. We've been receiving a diet, a steady diet of electioneering commercials and phone calls this past month. I called somebody here in our congregation on Sunday afternoon. Just, I had a question, and when I when I began talking, I received this. This abrupt um, voice on the phone because they thought I was another uh, person trying to tell them to vote for this or that candidate. And uh, we had a good chuckle. No, it's your pastor. (laughs) It feels like we've been held hostage um, to all this electioneering. But, uh, and, and things are difficult right now in our country. Let me remind you that God is in control. Even as these children, even as these Israelite boys are continuing to be killed, right there in Pharaoh's household was the man that God was going to use to deliver his people. Regardless of the ragings of the, of the politicians, regardless of the uncertainty of the markets, regardless of the schemes of the terrorists, we as God's people, and I'm not talking about us as a nation, I'm talking about we as believers in Jesus Christ, we are in God's hands. And there is no better place for us to be when things look most impossible. Many of us are going through difficult circumstances. If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you are God's own dear child. You are in His hands and there is nothing that can overcome you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Moses was God's chosen instrument. However, 
Moses was also very imperfect. In fact, we're going to look here at these uh, next several verses. And it looks as if Moses has disqualified himself as being a useful instrument in Israel's deliverance. Look at me. Uh, I mean, not look at me. Look at the scriptures. Take your eyes off of me. Plant them on the scriptures that is hopefully, hopefully open in your laps. Verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, it came into Moses' heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want me to kill you? Um, Or you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. As you read the book of Exodus, these accounts as they happened, um, and as Moses recorded them, and then you also compare it with Hebrews chapter 11, which we read in our responsive reading, it becomes clear that Moses did have a sense that God had placed him uh, in Pharaoh's household, uh, placed him in a position to help his kinsmen. However, of course, Moses, is, Moses went about things in the wrong way. Uh, he went about them in the wrong way because he took matters into his own hands. In fact, I get the sense, and I'm, I'm open for rebuttal on this, but I get the sense as I read this passage that Moses in his early years had visions of glory. That he would be, that he thought he would be this great Israelite leader uh, who would champion his people's cause. That he would, uh, he would lead them out of the oppression that they were suffering under and that he would be loved by everyone. Look at verse 25. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I believe this. He, was, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But alas, of course, they did not understand. So one day, Moses is out amongst the people. Uh, he has it in his heart, I want to go and visit my kinsmen. He goes out, he sees a slave driver oppressing and probably beating one of the Israelite slaves. And so because he has this uh, Superman complex, I'm going to deliver my people, he kills this Egyptian slave driver and then hides him. The next day he goes out amongst his people. He sees them, uh, these two men arguing. He tries to reconcile them because he sees himself as being um, bringing salvation by his hand. And he says, Men, why are you wronging? Or you are brothers, why do you wrong each other? But of course, they, he was brought immediately back to earth um, when they rejected his. I think pompous and out of touch uh, way of trying to help them. 
they knew that that uh, that knowledge of his murder the previous day had gotten out, and uh, so Moses then puts his tail between his legs, verse 29, and he fled from Egypt into the land of Midian. Now it's interesting, as you read Hebrews 11, you see that Moses did indeed have a faith in God. Hebrews 11 says that he rejected all the riches of Egypt, all the things that were his because he was a a member of Pharaoh's household, because he had been adopted into Pharaoh's family. He rejected all of those things so that he could help his fellow Israelites. But his visions of grandeur got in the way, and they all but disqualified him to be a deliverer. However, God did not give up on him. Um, God had to break him down, as we say in the sports world, so he could build him back up. In fact, I believe, as you continue to read the Pentateuch, where Moses says uh, that he was so humble, I think the reason Moses can say that and really be humble is because God had broken him of his pride. Um, In other words... Moses was God's man, so God is now going to refashion him so that he would be useful for his service. Have you noticed how long it took uh, for Moses then to be refitted for ministry? He was 40 years old when he first walked out among his kinsmen and committed murder. He fled into the land of Midian and he stayed there another 40 years. And so he was 80 years old when God finally calls him. Have you ever made a mistake, like a big one, that uh, seems like... um, it's life-changing. It's one of those mistakes where you fall into a hole and the hole seems so deep that you just don't know if you'll ever get out. Or one of those, those decisions that's a crossroads decision, you know, and you took the wrong path and you don't know the way back. I often wonder about people who are strung out on drugs or alcohol and what the decision-making process was. Was it one big decision, I'm going to start drinking or start taking drugs? Or was it a whole bunch of small decisions that led into a lifestyle? always wondered about that. I think in Moses' case, it was small recurring daydreams. These daydreams of grandeur. I am going to deliver my people. I am going to be loved by my people. And all those small, seemingly insignificant dreams of grandeur led to Moses' one great act of murder. And Moses then fell into a hole, and God uh, waited 40 years to get him out. But in that time, God rebuilt and refashioned Moses, and, and God used Moses powerfully. The reason I say that is regardless of where you are, regardless of how, how deep that hole seems that you have fallen into, regardless of how long it might seem to, to, to climb out of that hole, God will lift you out and He will use you. But He will change you 
in the process. The man that Moses was when he left Egypt was not the man who returned to Egypt 40 years later. Verses 30 through 34 gives us a little snapshot of how God changed Moses. So if you'll look again with me at the the scriptures, beginning with verse 30. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. The dreams of glory... They had long since been left behind in Egypt. They were replaced with the mundane life of being a sheep herder. Moses spent 40 years being a shepherd. But then one day, God appeared to him. He appeared to him, of course, in the form of this burning bush. And a long conversation took place between the Lord and Moses. This conversation is not recorded in the book of Acts. If you wanted to look at it, you could find it in Exodus 3 and 4. It is a remarkable conversation. And here's basically the conversation. You can look at it later. Um, But the conversation in short is, God says, I'm sending you to Egypt to deliver my people. And Moses says, no. God says, I'm, delivering, I'm sending you to Egypt. And Mo, Moses again says, no. God says, and Moses says, no. And finally, the Lord gets angry. And um, with Moses, rebukes him. And then Moses um, says, but I can't. I am terrible at public speaking. You know, I noticed this for the first time this week in looking at the passage. Look back up at verse 22 in Acts chapter 7. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Those of you who have the NIV, it has it even more clearly. He was mighty in speech. Yet Moses is saying... Lord, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What this tells me is that Moses had lost all of his self-confidence. He believed himself to be useless. Surprisingly, I believe that is a very good place to be. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. When we can't help ourselves, it's often the time that God will box us in and He will remind us That he is the one who is at work. However, Moses was wrong, so please don't misunderstand me here. Because he was not combining faith in this, um, faith in God. Rather, he was he was uh, arguing with God. Moses, or God, wants us to have the faith that God can do in us more than we can ask or imagine. Uh, Finally, however, Moses repented of his unbelief and his unwillingness. Long story short, he became great in his faith, and he was used by God. And of course, you know what happened. God sent Moses back to his people, and his people again rejected him. 
It reminds me of Jesus Christ in John 1, verses 9 through 11. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which which was his own, and his own did not receive him. I don't think it's an accident that we are reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ when we look here at the life of Moses. Um, the Bible says that Moses was, that, was actually the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, or, in theological terms, uh, Moses was a type of Christ. Moses himself, in the book of Deuteronomy, says that God is going to raise up for, for the Israelites a prophet that is like Moses, but greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3 says that although Moses pointed to Christ that Christ's glory far was superior to Moses. He was superior to Moses at every point. Let me just take a brief moment and let's compare Moses and Jesus. Both were called by God to deliver God's people. Moses delivered God's people from physical slavery. Jesus delivered God's people from spiritual bondage. Moses stood in the place of his people when he approached Pharaoh. Jesus hung on the cross in his people's place. Um, While Moses withstood Pharaoh's anger, Jesus submitted himself to the unmitigated wrath of God in our behalf. Moses was a prophet who spoke to God's people and said, this is the way we need to go. Jesus was the Word of God who not only tells us about the way of salvation, He is our salvation. As we continue to look at this paragraph, I mean this parallel, the breakdown begins to separate, begins to break down um, much further. Uh, And much more significantly, because Moses, being a sinner, he murdered a man, Jesus Christ, sacrificed himself in our behalf. Moses tried to reject his calling. Jesus said, here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. Not my will, but your will. Moses fled from his people when his sins became public. Jesus is sinless and he will never leave us or forsake us. Moses committed a serious crime. Jesus is sinless. Moses was humbled through repentance. Jesus humbled himself when he took on flesh to become our Savior. In other words... Moses looked at himself as being the savior of the Israelites. Moses was completely inadequate to be his people's savior. But Jesus Christ is perfectly adequate. He is our God and he is our savior. As we think this morning about the leadership of our nation... All the way through, where we have a majority, a striking majority of our leaders who are not believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we 
have leaders whom we cannot trust. And I doubt that this election will change anything substantively. I think the best we can hope for sometimes is gridlock where they just don't do anything. But we, as the people of God, do have a leader that we can depend upon. We have a Savior, in fact, and we can trust Him implicitly, regardless of any circumstances that we find ourselves in. The question that I put to you this morning is, do you have a Savior? Will you trust in Him? He is God, and He left His place in heaven. He came down into this sinful world, taking on flesh, in order that He might seek and to save the lost. That He might seek and save sinners. Has He found you? If so, you can know that He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never turn His back on you. In fact, He will carry you through times that are so difficult that you would otherwise think it would be impossible for you to get through it. Has Jesus Christ found you? The Israelites initially rejected Moses. Actually, I don't believe they ever received him as their leader. They wanted the benefits that he could give them. They wanted to be led out of their slavery. But they never really followed him as their leader. And tragically, because Moses was the forerunner of Christ, when they rejected Moses, they were rejecting God. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews 3 and 4, says that entire generation died out in the wilderness. And they died because they were unbelieving. They did not enter into the promised land simply because of their unbelief. They had no faith. Even though they saw the ten plagues, they had no faith. Even though they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, they had no faith. Even though they were led by a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day, they had no faith. Even though they ate manna in the morning and quail in the evening, they had no faith. Even though they heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they had no faith. This is Stephen's point as he is preaching to the Sanhedrin, to the very religious leaders of Israel. He is saying to them, you have no faith. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through that gate, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus is saying, to the, 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 the crowd that had gathered around him, who were all the people of God, the Israelites, he's saying only a few of you actually believe. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
Most people living in our nation, most people living in our world are on that broad road that leads to destruction. They enter through the wrong gate. Many people hear the gospel. Few ever really believe it. I've been reading this book over the past week called uh, The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead, M-E-A-D. Listen to him. As many go to heaven by the very gates of hell, and what he's saying there is when life gets so difficult that we feel like we're about to drop off into hell, that's often when we find Christ. As many go to heaven by the very gates of hell, so more go to hell by the gates of heaven. In that number of those that profess Christ is greater than the number of those that truly trust in Christ. Most men are good Christians in the verdicts of their own opinion. But you know the law demands no man to be a witness in his own case because their, effect, their affection usually overreaches conscience and self-love deceives truth for its own interest. Every grace has its counterfeit. And the highest... And that the highest profession may be where true conversion is not. Mead's point is not to discourage weak believers. But rather it is to ask yourself, are you a believer in in Jesus Christ? Or are you almost a Christian? Where are you this morning? Paul says, test yourself. See if you were in the faith. If you really are, if you find yourself to be without Jesus Christ, don't despair. For he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Come to him now. Come to him casting off all that other stuff. Enter in that narrow gate where only Jesus Christ is to be found. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I ask that you would help us to search our hearts to see if there be any wicked way in us in order that you might lead us in the way everlasting. Help us to test ourselves. Help us to know the quality of our faith, whether it be genuine or whether it be false. Father, I ask that you would help us all to flee anew, whether we have been walking with Christ for 50 years or whether we are unsure whether we have walked with Him one day. Help us to flee to Him now and find rest for our souls. I ask in His holy and ever-blessed name. Amen.